This film is lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. That's the actual tagline from <laughs> the it? movie, and I felt like because of how it's written, it must be supposed to be read in like a '60s announcer voice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of how yeah. it feels, but I don't know if that's accurate. Hello, and welcome back to this film is lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. We're fully in to the spooky season, and so we're kicking in with one of the all-time classics. Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. This is, we wanted to mention at the beginning, a patron request from one of our Academy Award-winning patrons. This time, that request is from Gray Hightower. Gray, thank you for supporting us, and thank you for requesting this film slash book. If you want to do the same, you can head over to patreon.com slash thisfilmislit. Support us there for 15 bucks a month, and we will add you for our priority recommendation queue, uh, which gets you way higher up the list. Um, we are scheduled out pretty far, so it won't be very like immediate but it will go to the next in the queue of our requests um so yeah moves you up that list as long as you stick around for a couple of months and you can't just sign up i mean you technically can <laughs> but could. we can't stop we can't you. stop you but <laughs> do us a favor and stick around for a couple months at least because <laughs> you also get access to a bunch of bonus content which right after we get done recording this episode we're going to record our bonus review of get out which is our september bonus episode we just watched Get Get Out for the first time, uh, and we're going to talk about it. So you can check that out. You get that for $5 and up per month. All right. We've got all of our segments, so let's get into our first one where we give you a little breakdown in case it's been a while since you've seen Psycho in Let Me Sum Up. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Marion Crane, a secretary, embezzles $40,000 from one of her employer's obnoxious clients and goes on the run to meet up with her boyfriend, Sam, so he can use the cash to pay off his debts so they can finally be free to get married. On the way, she stops for the night at a remote hotel run by Norman Bates, a young man under the domineering control of his mother. After checking in and speaking to Norman for a while, Marion takes a shower before turning in for the night. While in the shower, she's violently stabbed to death by Norman's mother. Norman must then clean up the crime scene and do his best to quell any further suspicion about Marion and her whereabouts. The next day, I think it's the next day, it could be down... It's like a week later. Yeah, it could be like a week later. Uh, a private investigator shows up, Detective Arbogast, paid for by Marion's sister Lila and Sam, her, her boyfriend... 
Uh, he shows up at the motel to try to track down Marion. After almost stumbling upon uh, a secret, he is also brutally murdered by Mrs. Bates, and Norman is once again forced to clean up after his mother. When they don't hear from Arbogast, Sam and Lila decide to take the investigation into their own hands and head out to the Bates Motel themselves, the last known, loca known location where they received a call from Arbogast. After some snooping around, Lila decides to question Mrs. Bates herself as she thinks she must know something about Marion and her whereabouts. After sneaking into the Bates house, Lila comes across a grisly discovery, Mrs. Bates' corpse rotting in the basement. She is then attacked by Norman, dressed up in his mother's clothes and a wig, but luckily Sam shows up just in the nick of time to subdue Norman and save Lila. It is then revealed that Norman had been suffering from some form of dissociative identity disorder, not called that at the time, and had assumed the role of his mother and had been killing victims in the quote-unquote character of his mother. And the story ends with Bates in custody, fully dissociating into his mother's personality. The end. Did I miss anything important? No, I think you got it all. There you go. All right. We have four questions for our game show round so let's go ahead and play guess who who are you no one of consequence i must know. get used to disappointment okay the light shone down on his plump face reflected from his rimless glasses bathed the pinkness of his scalp beneath thinning sandy hair uh boy um Oh, I bet I know who this is. Light shone down his plump face, reflected from his rimless glasses, bathed the pinkness of his scalp beneath thinning sandy hair. I bet this, because this guy has glasses. It took me a second to, to place who this probably would be. But this guy has glasses in the movie, and I think he's bald, but close enough. Uh, and this would be, and I don't know his name, uh, Marion's boss. This would be Norman Bates. Oh, interesting. So he has glasses in the book yeah and a plump face because anthony perkins is anything but anthony perkins is quite trim yes very very, very thin, thin. uh and he i don't know i wouldn't also wouldn't say he has thinning hair so mm -hmm. and it's not sandy it's dark mm -hmm. boy the all of those none of the things <laughs> literally none of the things interesting okay fair enough he was tall thin and deeply tanned a gray Stetson shadowed his forehead, but not his eyes. The eyes were ice blue and ice hard. Okay, so there is a guy who wears a Stetson in the movie, but I'm wondering if this maybe isn't him. Uh, and that would be the the, the obnoxious guy who uh, Marion steals the $40,000 from or who gives her the money to, and, and she's asked to take it to the bank and he's a creep and she ends up taking his money. Uh, but the the eyes were ice blue and ice hard makes me think that this is a different character. And my guess for this would be that this is actually a uh, the detective would be my maybe the detective or the the investigator or whatever uh, Arbogast maybe plays has a Stetson in the book and he doesn't in the movie. Because it's one of those two would be my... I would either say it's the guy from the beginning who she takes the money from or it's Arbogast. And I'm going to go with... I'm going to I'm gonna stick... I'm going to go and say the movie kept the Stetson. I don't think the ice blue and ice hard eyes like track with his character in the movie, but I'm still going to say that that is that guy she steals the money from. You should have gone uh, with your other instinct. Damn it. <laughs> it's Arbogast. I had a feeling the eyes being ice blue and ice hard implies, you know... 
a different type of character mm-hmm. than we get with, uh, you know, a much more sort of like knowing and cunning and like yes. calculated character. Whereas the the guy with the money in the beginning is just like a an obnoxious Ridiculous. blowhard. Yeah. Like he's just yeah. <sighs> Darn it. Okay. Okay. Well, I think you'll get the next one. <laughs> a headscarf concealed the hair, and the glassy eyes stared inhumanely. But it wasn't a mask. It couldn't be. The skin had been powdered dead white and two hectic spots of rouge centered on the mm. cheekbones. Okay. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this uh, would be Norma Bates, I believe is her name, uh, the the mother, uh, the dead body of, the mother of. I mean, because that's the only other person, although unless the perspective, no, it's got to be. It's got to be his mother's body. Well, technically, it's him dressed as his mother. Oh, but okay. I'll give you that. One. I thought this was like the reveal of her finding Mm-mm. the body, and he had like sort of put make. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's what the implication I got here. Okay, I don't know how you thought I would. Get that. <laughs> I don't know why you would think I would think that, and not the body of the mother based on that description. Um, but fair enough. Because he doesn't have makeup in the movie. No, he doesn't put it. In. Well, uh, the one time we see him. Yeah, and just like the 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 glassy eyes stared inhumanely, wasn't a mask, it couldn't be. Made me think like she thought it looked like a Halloween mask or something. Mm -hmm. And then the the skin had been powdered dead white and two spots of. I just assumed he had been put makeup on the corpse of his mother, which would have made sense. I don't. Okay, fair enough. The man was tall, broad across the shoulders, and paunchily protruding at the waistline. He wore a blue serge suit and his red seamed neck twisted in rebellion against the restraint of a white starched collar. He had curly graying hair and curly black eyebrows. Oh, man. Okay. Well, there's not that many characters left. Uh, it could be somebody I guessed already and was incorrect about this, uh, like being either the, the guy with the money or um, the boss because I, I don't think this would be sam again unless they just cast sam completely against the look of this guy because sam does not have gray hair and, mm. and and he's not um paunchy at the waistline and the blues i don't know what a surge suit is to be fair i think it's a type of fabric okay um i i don't know who else it would be I'm trying to think what other people show up like what? Because there's not that many characters in the movie. Mm. Oh, oh, wait. Uh, I think I know. I think I figured it out. I'm gonna say that this is the psychiatrist at the end. It's the sheriff. Who's that? The sheriff. The sheriff that they go talk to. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah, could be him too. I guess that makes <laughs> sense. I mean, it, yeah. Also, colors are no help in I know. it's a black yeah. and white movie, so the colors are zero help in terms of that kind of thing. Um, and I mean, it doesn't really look like the psychiatrist, but I was just trying to think of other characters. It actually that does like at least kind of fit with the from what I remember of the sheriff. Mm-hmm. He's just such a forgettable character in the grand it's scheme fair. of things. Like the the psychiatrist gets like a big grandiose monologue, so he's like more memorable. But yeah, okay, cool. Great. You got none of those. <laughs> kind of a rough one. I, I yeah. Well, I don't know. There's no way I could have got that first one. That first one, everybody would guess the boss. Yeah. He looks, he has glasses, he's bald, and he has, and he's kind of like, you know, plump or whatever. That's nothing like Norman Bates. 
No, it's not. The Stetson. I I got there, but I just went with the guy who actually had the Stetson in the movie. But I had the other right guess, and then the other one. I don't. Th- I don't think anybody. I think most people would have missed most of those, but maybe not. Who knows? Tell us how you did if you played <laughs> along. How did you do? Because that was impossible. All right, I have some questions. Let's go ahead and now and find out what was in the book. Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? All right, so my first question is about the setup. I'm assuming that at least some of the second, you know, like the middle and second part or second half, the middle and last third of this movie, I would imagine, share a lot of similarities to the book. But I was wondering if maybe the setup was different and they're just like pulling the 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 killer at a motel, (laughs) you know, sort of angle of things from the book. Um, and so the setup with the assistant, uh, Marion, uh, and then her down on his luck lover coming across $40,000 in unaccounted bills from some rich asshole. And then he, she decides to steal it and then ends up at a motel. Is that like the setup that we get in the book for, I say setup, it's like the first half of the story, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's the same setup. Okay. That's, it's the reason that Mary is, ends up at the Bates motel. Um, she's Mary in the book, not Marion. So I'm probably oh, okay. going to use it interchangeably but they're close enough so i'm like eh. Uh, the big difference in the book is that we don't start with mary and sam Mm -hmm. because the movie starts with them like canoodling in a hotel somewhere um and then we go to work with her Uh, the book starts with norman at the hotel interesting and then we pop over to mary and she's already stolen the money and she's driving okay Uh, and that is definitely something that I had in better in the movie. Yeah. I, I liked the change of starting with Marion and seeing her interact with Sam, which is something that we never actually see in the book. Yeah. She thinks about him a lot. Yeah. During the, the brief portion of the book that she's, she's alive. alive yeah. uh, but we never actually see them interact with each other. Uh, so I liked seeing that. I liked seeing how she set herself down that path. Um, like I said, all of that is delivered via her inner monologue mm-hmm. in the book, and I, I liked getting to see it play out in real time. I thought that was more interesting. I also think, um, based on what you said, that I, I like it from the the aspect of not priming us for who is potentially responsible for what's going to happen. Like mm-hmm. I like not getting at the mo, not setting up the motel or Norman at all before we arrive there. Yeah, I, I mean, especially back then at a time where like there isn't you wouldn't have stuff spoiled for you in the same way. And like there isn't um, trailers are very different, as we talked about. I mean, mm-hmm. and now the trailer does go to great lengths. I included some of it in the prequel episode. It does. It's six minutes long and it's just Alfred Hitchcock walking through all the sets at the motel talking about how there was a murder here and stuff like that. Um, and it's so it does give away some stuff, but just uh, av- apart from that, I think that that ha- bringing in Norman's character, he shows up 40 minutes into the movie. Before that, we have never seen him at all. And I actually had a note about that later that it's just like I always forget that the first 35 of this move minutes of this movie 
there's no motel. There's no <laughs> there's no Norman Bates. There's no nothing. It's just like this drama about a woman stealing money. Yeah. And then it turns into something else entirely, which is really interesting. And I think set it and I think that's more interesting. Starting the movie as one thing and then mm-hmm. having it completely left turn and it's an entirely different film is way more interesting than having Norman show up at the beginning and pre- prepping us, seeding us to know something's going on with this. Yeah. Whereas we don't know that when she arrives at the motel. Yeah, and, no, I mean, I, again, I we do because I mean, of the we do cultural because, osmosis. Yes, because of cultural whatnot. osmosis. But you're right. If you think about somebody going to the theater to see this movie yeah. in 1960. Who pro- very likely maybe hadn't seen a trailer for yeah, it or whatever. Yeah, maybe they didn't see a trailer, but you certainly, like, they certainly haven't, like, gotten on Facebook no. and seen somebody talking about yeah. how Norman Bates is the killer. Right. And so the, I think that would be a much... I think that's a really interesting way to structure it mm-hmm. in comparison to the book. I just think yeah. it's, 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 it sets you, up such a better about, left turn. And, like, and, and if like, you think pull. about that kind of structure, too, where they set up like one kind of movie yeah. and then it turns into a different kind of movie, it's a ballsy move to kill it your is. leading lady 45 minutes in. It really is, yeah. Yeah, and, and in particular, I think she was fairly popular actress yeah. at the time, too. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I think she was. So, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's, it's, I, I think that's way more interesting than, uh, than the book's version. Uh, so then as she's running, she, 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 she falls asleep in her car and she gets woken up by a cop who then just won't stop following her. And I wanted to know if that obnoxious fucking cop was from the book because he, he looks like, he looks like somebody in particular, a modern actor, and it was driving me crazy. I couldn't remember. I couldn't place the guy, like a guy from like Starship Troopers or something. Anyways, I'll try to see figure out if I can figure out who that actor he reminds me of is. Um, but there's some modern actor that his face shape was like identical. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, is that is that obnoxious stalker cop from the book? No, there's no cop in the book. I, I did think that maybe the movie was going to come back to him. Maybe yeah. like while they were looking for her or something, but but it didn't. No, I think that's just that's just an early like tension to in, mm-hmm. in, to to bring some tension into the film because otherwise, at this point, like that point in the film, if she's not if if he's not there or anything like that, we have very little tension pushing. Yeah, no, I agree. It becomes just a story of her driving to this house. You know what I mean? There's no like looming tension. And since it is <laughs> ostensibly a thriller, like I feel like they, they probably felt they needed some sort of mm-hmm. impetus for that tension at the beginning would be my guess. And what better than a terrifying cop? Uh, there's this moment in the film where she's driving and she's imagining the conversation going back, going on back like at the office between the people whose like money she took and stuff. And she, she hits this little grin that like grows on her face in the film. And it, it's actually, if you watch it, it's very reminiscent of uh, Bates's kind of grin at the end of hmm. similar ish. Um, it's that kind of like slow growing, like very subtle, like creepy kind of grin uh, as she is imagining this conversation of her, uh, of them, like, talking about her stealing the money and how she got one over on them. And I wanted to know if that like her thinking of that conversation or or like her imagining the conversation going on back from the people she stole the money from came from the book. And also if like the if she derives any sort of pleasure from it, because I think that's a really interesting little detail for the ostensibly protagonist of the film at this point. 
kind of to be like reveling in this bad thing. She, I don't know. I thought it was interesting that moment in the film. And I want to know if it had any parallel in the book. Uh, no, she doesn't imagine any conversations while she's driving. Um, and I, I didn't feel like I got the vibe that she like, I don't know. I, okay. And that's fair. I, I just, yeah, it was just something about that moment. And uh, it's a very short moment in the movie, but she, she gets this like mm-hmm. look on her face and it is, like I said, it's kind of reminiscent of Norman Bates's look at the end of like this sort of crazed glee, but in a very subtle, like grin kind of look. Um, and I just yeah. thought it was a really interesting I, well, and fact I think that the, the movie moment. kind of moving things around, like we talked about a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. um, left an opening for that because while she's driving in the book, mainly what we're getting is the backstory. Yeah. Right. We're learning all about how she's stolen this money. Um, and she's worried about how she's going to get Sam to accept the money. Uh, that's one she, thing I was wondering. I couldn't re- tell in the movie. And I think I had a question about that. We'll talk about yeah, it later. You but, have a question about it later. But I, I, I couldn't tell if Sam knew or what the deal, like, no, was, he yeah, doesn't. I no. didn't think so, but, um, but yeah. So Jen, she's thinking about that and she has this big hang up in the book about like, getting old even though she's only 27 yeah um she wants to like get married before she's 30 but sam wants to like wait and pay off his debts and she has this like obsession about it yeah um so that's basically what we're getting while she's driving okay yeah like the whole backstory yeah uh so then she arrives at the motel and i wanted to know if i assume but i who knows if it is in fact the bates motel yes and does it have the big house up on the hill behind the motel with a single light on and a silhouette in the window when she arrives? I mean, there there is the big house okay. up behind the motel. Um, and they there are a couple times that characters see the silhouette okay. of the mother in the window. Okay. Um, I would say that like that whole visual altogether is maybe more of a movie thing. Like, there's not, like, I feel like the movie made more of a thing out of, like, the single light and the silhouette than mm-hmm. maybe the book did. Do you know okay. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I get, I get yeah. But it, but it is. There is yes. people. Okay. So, yeah. It's from the book. Uh, specific line. And I was trying to pull. There's not. This movie actually doesn't have that many, at least in my opinion, like, iconic lines necessarily. It has a few. And I, I tried to get most of them in. But um, there, uh, one of them is early on. Uh, as she's talking to Norman, uh, he says to her, a boy's best friend is his mother, which I feel like I remember people like being a line that people remember from the movie. And I want to know if that came from the book. I don't recall this exact line and I wasn't able to find it. I checked a couple places that I thought it might be, but I couldn't get I couldn't get a, a digital copy of this one. Um, so I wasn't able to just like search for it. Um, so I don't recall it, wasn't able to find it. So I'm going to say no, mm-hmm. but I could be wrong about that. Okay. Next question. This one's going to be interesting because it's kind of complicated. Um, not really, I guess. But in the film, we hear conversations between Norman and his mother mm-hmm. uh, and other characters do. In that beginning part, when she first shows up, she hears, I think it's her. At one point, somebody for sure hears overhears Norman having a conversation with his mother. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if that, ha- if that, if that happens in the book and if so, 
so in the movie, I was like, wait, is that Anthony Perkins? Because obviously I knew the twist. I know that his mom's dead. So I'm like, is that Anthony Perkins doing that voice? And I looked it up and it's not. It's some woman. I don't know why. That would have been great. It's a woman named Virginia Gregg who passed away not too long ago, I think. But um, so it was an actress named Virginia Gregg who was doing the voice. But that also feels like a cheat to me. Because especially when other people are overhearing it, the fact that the voice, like it would be one thing if if the nobody overheard it. And so it was like just a thing that we were hearing. And then it's actually maybe it, it wasn't something that we were actually hearing. It was sort of like more something we were like giving access inside Norman's head or something. But no, these are actual vocalized conversations he's having. And, and and which he would be doing both sides of the conversation. And it doesn't there's very clearly not him doing the voice. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, that's shenanigans. That feels like cheating a little bit. But fair enough, I guess. But it's also cheating. Anyways, do, do we hear or do any characters hear Norman's mother in the book? Uh, and if so, you know, like, yeah. Is there any description of that or what what's going on? So most of the book is actually spent in Norman's perspective. And we do see quite a few quote-unquote conversations with his mother. I don't think any other character quote-unquote hears her okay. until the end when Lila is in the cellar. But again, I might be misremembering that. Um, but l- like we do see like what we could what we initially think are conversations between him and his mother yeah in the book and of course later come to find right. out it's just him talking to himself right but in the book it and i guess so in the book does it say like does it do dialogue traditionally does it say like his mother said or something like that when we see those conversations i guess i'm trying to see if there's a similar parallel in the book where it does a mislead in the same way that the movie does where it kind of cheats you know what i mean yeah i think i'm gonna say i think the book does a little bit of a better job at making it ambiguous okay I think you could definitely, like, especially if you were reading it, knowing how it ends, like, see the lines from his mother and and be like, okay, I, I understand what's going on here. Mm-hmm. But I think you could also read it and just think that he's, someone is talking to him. Yeah. Okay. I would, I would be really interested to actually see how it's written, like, on the page, because... <laughs> Well, we have the book right here. I know, but you didn't open it, so I didn't <laughs> I didn't want to be like, "Hey, open it and look." <laughs> okay. So it does sort of it does uh dialogue without it never whenever at least from these two pages, whenever she says a line, it doesn't say like mother said. Mm-hmm. It just does the thing where it's just like a standalone line of dialogue. Mhm. So that that's what I was wondering. Yeah. You know, like we don't get like the parent, not parentheticals, but whatever it's called. Dialogue tags. Dialogue tags for the mother. We right. only get dialogue tags for Norman. Right. That so was my question. We can read that either way, right? If you're reading through this and you yeah. genuinely do not know how it yes. ends and you don't know that she's dead, then you're just reading 
a convention right. of novels, which yeah. is to put in dialogue without dialogue. Yeah, tags. that's not that uncommon. Yeah. Um, but then but, if you do know the end or if you're rereading it, yes. you can be like, oh, I see what you did there. It all it works. And that's that was my whole question in comparison to the movie where the movie's version of doing this would be if he if Anthony Perkins was actually doing the voice, but mm-hmm. just, you know, doing a very, you know, a very stilted version of the voice or something, but it was actually him. Whereas what the movie actually does is just uses an actress to do it. So it feels like cheating. Whereas the book didn't quite cheat in that way. No, I agree. And and, and again, it's it's different. Anthony Perkins should have done the voice. I think Anthony Perkins better in the the book. Okay. That was glad we solved that. (laughs) Uh, Does Norman Bates have a bird taxidermy hobby? Because he does in the movie, and it's very creepy. Uh, taxidermy, yes, but not birds specifically. Okay. And is that, I wonder if that's just be a nod to Hitchcock's fascination with birds in general. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Because I mean, this is pre-birds, but mm-hmm. he probably had the idea for the birds at this point. Yeah. Or, and yeah, probably, probably already had a preconceived sort of, or not preconceived, but probably already had a... A bit of a fascination. Or maybe birds, he had so. a friend with a bunch of taxidermy birds who was like, yeah. I'll lend you all these birds for the movie. Yeah. My guess would be that he's just because and I'm sure we talked about it in the birds episode, but that was like the eighth episode that we was, did. So I don't That was like our fourth episode. It, I whatever. Think, it was in the first early. 10. Yeah, it was it was in the first 10. So I don't remember anything about it, but it wouldn't surprise me if he's always sort of inherently found birds creepy or whatever. Mm. And so he made it birds in this. And then that was just. Birds are pretty creepy. I don't think they're creepy. I'm going to go on record. I think birds are a little creepy. I know people, some people, I don't find I'm not like scared of birds, but I I think they're a little creepy. Zero percent creepy. They're dinosaurs. See, now I feel like we've had this conversation before. We definitely have this conversation on the birds episode. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Does Norman have a a creeper hole, a peep hole that he can spy on people with? Yes, he does okay. have a peephole. This big scene, it's the most iconic scene in maybe film history. Maybe. It's in top five. It's up there. It's yeah. got to be top five most iconic sort of film moments ever. Uh, and that is the shower uh, murder scene. Uh, does Mrs. Bates stab Marion to death in the shower? Does that scene come from the book? Yes, it does. Okay. It is exactly the same, except that in the book... She cuts off Mary's head. Oh, wow. So it's stabby stab stab and also hacky hack hack. Okay. Wild. Can you, do you know where that is? Can you read a little bit of that just for the sake of comparison? (laughs) Well, I can't read the actual murder scene because, wait, no, here we go. Or just whatever the representation of it is in the book. Yeah, a a lot of this is... um, Built on what you don't see right. in the text. Okay. Um, okay. That's why she didn't hear the door open or the note of the th- or note the sound of footsteps. And at first, when the shower curtains parted, the steam obscured the face. Mm-hmm. Then she did see it there, just a face peering through the curtains, hanging in midair like a mask. A headscarf concealed the mm, hair, okay. and the glassy eyes stared inhumanly. But it wasn't a mask. It couldn't be. The skin had been powdered dead white and two hectic spots of rouge centered on the cheekbones. It wasn't a mask. It was the face of a crazy old woman. Mary started to scream and then the, and the curtains parted further and a hand appeared holding a butcher's knife. 
It was the knife that, a moment later, cut off her scream and her head. Oh, there you go. I posted on my Twitter the other day as I was finishing up this book. The ending of every chapter in Psycho and like a gif of a character going dun 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 because every chapter ends like that in this book every single one he just he went to the uh uh i know now i can't remember the author's name the um or i guess this author went to this guy the the robert block school of writing uh because oh god uh the guy who wrote um da vinci code Oh, Dan Brown. Dan Brown. <laughs> Have you read The Da Vinci Code? I haven't read The Da Vinci Code, but I read, I read Angels and Demons, I assume, and I know I what you're talking about. Same, because yeah. in Da Vinci Code, literally every chapter ends with a, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's been a, over a decade since I read The Da Vinci Code, but um, it's probably been, like, 15 years. I, I read it in high school, I think. But, yeah, it's... Uh, he very similar like every chapter ends with that like crazy cliffhanger like what yeah uh so then uh, after he gets rid of the body and everything the uh, the detective the investigator shows up and uh is sort of questioning norman and this scene in the movie is fantastic uh it's really slow deliberate scene uh where he's asking norman questions and he keeps getting more and more nervous and sort of revealing more and more as he goes and contradicting himself and there's this really cool shot at one point where he's showing him something and it's shot from underneath, like up from underneath. And Norman like leans over and looks. Yeah, that's and, a, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's a crazy looking shot. It's a crazy looking shot. But like this whole scene is like a masterclass in uncomfortable framing and the editing because the, the frenetic pace of the editing keeps like amping up with the conversation um, as as Norman gets more and more nervous and like the framing is tighter and, and, and more claustrophobic. Uh, just, uh, just an incredible scene. Um, and I wanted to know if that scene in general, uh, played out like that in the book. There's a very similar scene. Obviously we do get a scene where Arbogast questions Norman. Um, I wouldn't say that it's quite the same. Again, the main difference being that we're in Norman's perspective. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like it's, hmm. That is interesting, a complete, like, having that perspective switch, which it's not a switch, because in the movie, our, we're, we're, we're just sort of, like, third-person yeah, perspective. We're, we're not in anybody's perspective, per se. Um, we're just kind of watching things play out. Uh, so it is interesting, I think, to... I, I think it's... I don't know. The, the book, I would be interested to see how the book's mystery plays out when you're in... Did you guess the ending? I guess we could talk about that later. I don't know if you had that conversation, (laughs) but I did want to know that. I wanted to know if you guessed the ending. Yeah, I figured figured out where I thought it was going to be going. Okay. um, Fairly early in the book. And I wonder if, and see, we'll never be able to do it. I was wondering if the movie, if you would have figured it out. I don't know. I don't know either. Because I remember I didn't figure it out when I saw this movie, but I saw it as a kid. Like, I was, like, a little kid when I saw this the first time. You know, I was probably, like, eight yeah. or nine or something like that. And so, yeah, I wanted. I was wondering... I guess I'm wondering if being in his perspective in the book makes it easier to suss out the mystery or the twist. I do have some thoughts on that in my final verdict. Okay, cool. <laughs> then we'll get to it then. Uh, so then the detective, after he does some more investigating, he ends up, he wants to go into the house and talk to, uh, 
think he wants to go talk to Norma Bates or, or he just wants to go look for something. He's snooping around in the house and he walks up the stairs and then another classic shot, two classic shots in the movie. One, the overhead shot from the stairwell where his, uh, uh, his mom comes walking out of the room all of a sudden and stabs the guy in the head and then the classic stairwell falling down shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to know if Arbogast... Uh, if they were capturing, visu- capturing, visually capturing a moment from the book, or if they created that whole scene from whole cloth in the movie, I would say that they created it from whole cloth. Okay. In the book, Norman describes seeing his mother swing a razor blade at mm. Arbogast, uh, but then the chapter ends. Uh, okay. <laughs> dun dun dun. So it cuts off. Um, but I got the vibe that he was just at the front door and okay. not actually in the house. Okay. Although I guess he could have fallen down the porch stairs. He could have. But it wouldn't have been nearly as long or no, dramatic of a fall. would not have been as dramatic. I also, that, that moment always cracks me up in the movie because of the way he falls and the sound effects. It's like he's floating down the stairs. Yeah. Because like in that moment, he would, in reality, he would like tumble yeah, he would have a real hard fall. He would fall. like roll, but in the movie, his feet seem to be hitting every step as he falls. Like if you listen, and you even see a shot at one moment of his feet like hitting the bottom steps or whatever, and it's like he's, which is actually what it was in the movie. They had him like lay when they shot it. I believe I read about this is that he's essentially laying on like a stretcher mm. that is like attached to some sort of crane system that is like you know like lowering pulling, him down, pulling him down, kind of, or yeah, like lowering him down the stairs, basically. Huh. And it had like a camera attached to it or, or something like that. Um, and but yeah, I always it was always funny to me in the movie because it's like, well, you wouldn't fall down the stairs like that. <laughs> like, that's not how you <laughs> fall down the stairs. It's still a great shot uh, and a great moment. But it's a it's a it is one of those that is a, feels a little in comparison to how realistic the the shower scene stabbing feels mm-hmm. relatively speaking. The that that moment feels like this heightened, strange, like. An, art, an artistic interpretation of death. Uh, yes, I uh, yes. He gently tumbles down yeah. into the embrace of death. He doesn't tumble. He floats. He, <laughs> he floats, floats into the, the embrace of death. Yeah. yeah. So we get in the movie, we actually get a relatively early, not early, there's only like 30 minutes left in the movie or whatever, but we get this reveal when they go to visit the, the sheriff and they're like, uh, this Sam, I think this is Sam and Lila at this point, who are like, hey, we were up there and we saw... Or, the, or not, they, they have talked to the detective and he said he saw a woman in the house or whatever. Um, and they're like, there's this woman in the house and he's like, but Norma's been dead for 10 years. If Norma Bates is up in that house, then who's buried out in Green Lawn Cemetery? And it's like, dun, dun, dun. And that's actually, is that how a chapter ends? Kind of. Oh! <laughs> as soon as I said it, I was like, wait, I bet that's the end of a chapter. Because <laughs> we get this kind of early reveal uh, that his mom is dead, it, it kind of cluing us in before the final, like, you know, in-your-face revelation that it has been Norman this whole time. Mm-hmm. We get a, a much more subtle sort of like, oh, well, then who is it? What is going on up there? Maybe there's somebody else living with them or something. But so that that's from the book. So that is revealed by the sheriff, and it is right around the same time in the narrative that exact line mm. isn't from the book, but I did like it. Yeah. The sheriff stared at Lila, then broke off with an aimless wave of the hand. Anyways, they never did get married. 
something must have went wrong. Maybe she was in a family way. Maybe Considine had a wife back where he came from. But one night, they both took strike, strychnine together. Regular poison pact, you might say. Her son, this Norman Bates, he found them both. Guess it was pretty much of a shock. Way I remember it, he was laid up in the hospital for a couple months after. Didn't even go to the funeral. But I went. That's how I'm sure his mother is dead. Hell, I was one of the pallbearers. Mm. Dun, 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 dun. There you go. So after uh, Lila and Sam decide to go investigate, they, Lila ends up inside the Bates estate um, looking for Norma because she wants to talk to her. Uh, but then gets down in the basement because she's hiding from Norman, who has come back to the house now. Uh, and and in the basement, in the cellar, the fruit cellar, uh, I've now found out that it is, uh, she comes across a woman sitting in a chair. It swivels around and reveals, oh, my God, it's a corpse. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Said from the book. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yes, her corpse is in the basement. Uh, the end plays out. Beat for beat the same. Uh, There was one thing that I had in better in the book. Anthony Perkins and the wig and the dress. I don't know if you saw the expression on my face during that moment. No, I did not. But I could not take it seriously. He looked like a college student, like cross dressing Uh, for a fraternity hazing event. I thought this was much scarier in the book with like. He, the makeup and he's like doing a creepy voice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the movie's version to me just looked kind of half-assed. Yeah, because he is just like wearing a wig and like a has like a gown yeah. like wrapped around his shoulders. Yeah, he didn't even particularly like change. He just Mm-mm. like put like an uh, like a bathrobe on or something like that. Um, but yeah, I, that's it's the big reveal when he comes to me. Also in the movie, that moment I also thought was very strange. I guess it's just down to like the idea that he's like i don't know because maybe it's because in this moment he's supposed to like he is like truly by the way we're gonna mess this is complicated like psychiatric yeah like and and all dated and all very dated so like we're gonna try to discuss the movie and probably gonna talk about it in a way that's not like the most <laughs> psychiatrically uh correct or um you know up to date or anything like that but in that moment he in the movie he's like he, i guess he is like he, he he's sort of embodying his mother like he at this point he's like yeah, become he's like his mother in fully the mother person because like but that moment where like sam grabs him his reaction i always thought was really strange he just like flops over and yeah. like screams without screaming i don't know what he's supposed to be doing there I don't know. The only thing I can think is that, and it's the only thing that makes any sense, is that it, they, they that was a direction because they wanted him to visually mirror the corpse of his mother in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, her mouth is open, and, like, she's kind of leaning. Yeah. And if you yeah, look maybe. and compare, like, the way he looks when Sam, like, grabs him, it looks kind of similar. And that's my only thought, is that they were going for that, like, visual parallel because the the actual act like the actual like like why is he behaving like why is he like flopping around like a fish like when sam grabs him i didn't i didn't understand that at all i don't know it's felt very strange because he's an old that's that's my only thought is that because like he's an old lady at that point so he's i don't know it still feels weird the whole thing felt strange um i don't i don't love that 
last moment. Yeah, in the it's, movie. A, it's, it's a very of, strange note to kind of end yeah. on. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, but then it's revealed uh, in the movie that, well, you know, we get this big long denouement from the psychiatrist where he explains that he has, I don't even remember what he calls it, maybe split personality. I think I he does call it split personality yeah. disorder in the movie. Um, which the name of that has changed a lot <laughs> yeah. over the years. Uh, it is now most commonly referred to as dissociative identity disorder. I believe, um, and it's also a very complicated. Yes, it's complicated. And our perception of what it is uh, and in what popular it means media is changed. Why has changed, and it's also widely misconstrued. Like, you know, not um, very rarely is it ever uh, um, shown in in media like accurately at mm-hmm. all. Um, and so, most likely, your perception of any, any split personality disorder, dissociative identity disorder, whatever, if your perception comes from media, it's most likely inaccurate. <laughs> Just want to throw that yeah. out there. But um, that is what the movie is going for here. Um, and I wanted to know if we get that it, that if that's the same explanation in the book that is in the movie that he has like dissociated into his mother's persona, basically. Yeah. It's yes. like a defense mechanism. The the next to last chapter is basically that whole scene with the psychiatrist. It's very similar, like very expository yeah. denouement um, where the psychiatrist explains to us all. He unmasks <laughs> yeah. Norman Bates. Yeah, what has like... happened here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is very, yeah, it's a very um, uh, Scooby, yes. do, Scooby-Doo moment. Where That's like, not okay. Norma. That's yeah. Norman. Yeah. And then a big long monologue about like why and how and whatnot. Okay. Uh, and then finally, I want to know if we end on uh, the monologue with Norman in the cell. Um, I, I copy and pasted the whole thing. The main line I'm wanting to know is the line that everybody remembers because it's the last line in the movie. I'm not even going to swat that fly. I hope they're watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. And they'll say why she wouldn't even harm a fly. I want to know that specifically, but like the whole monologue in general, if that's how we end the book and specifically the fly line. <laughs> yeah. So this is basically the last chapter of the book Okay, is uh, this monologue from Norman as Norma perspective. Yeah. It's not the exact same verbiage except for the line about the fly. There you go. But it is the same idea. Does it end? Is it, when you say Let's chapter see. 17, is that the last chapter? Yes. What's the last line of the book? The last line of the book is why she wouldn't even harm a fly. Okay, so it's the exact same last line. Yes. Okay, cool. That's that's the specific thing I was wondering. So the book ends the exact same way the movie does, basically. I mean, mm-hmm. same line at least. Cool. All right. I think I hit all the biggest moments. I hope so. Uh, let's go ahead. I had one little quick question that I just want to see if there's any more information about in the book. So let's go ahead and talk about what was lost in adaptation. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. Was lost. Yes. Yes. And I want to get unlost as soon as possible. So I don't know if I missed it or did Marie, uh, ever, Marion ever explain her plan in the movie? Like she takes the money and then we see her driving to Fairview or whatever and it's kind of piecemeal revealed that she's going to meet up with Sam. But I couldn't tell, like I said earlier, I couldn't tell if Sam was aware of this plan or in on it or like if she, like what was her plan when she got there? Just give him $40,000. But then what is she going back to her job? Like what or was she running away? That, that was my question. Yeah. Like is, is her plan to like convince Sam to run away with her with 40000 or 
Or like, what's the plan? <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't think she really explains it in the movie. Uh, so I don't blame you for being confused by this. So uh, there are a couple factors that I think don't quite come through in the movie. One of which is that nobody really knows about Sam. Uh, no, I, yeah, I got the vibe of that because they they like because when they're leaving in the um, in the beginning, he's she's like, "What? We can't leave together," or she says, "Or okay, can't we enough. leave together?" or something like that. So and, and so I got the illusion, I got the idea that it was somehow kind of secret or whatever. But but yeah, so I got that part. So in the book, they haven't actually known each other for very long. Yeah, they're engaged or they're like planning to get married at some point when he pays off his debts. Yeah. But they haven't actually known each other for very long. And again, like I said, we never actually see them interact. Mm -hmm. So her plan, basically, and it is kind of a half-assed plan. Yeah. Because she just kind of sees this opportunity and seizes it. Yeah. Basically, her plan is to drive up there and tell him that she received an inheritance from a relative. And to try and convince him to use it to then pay off his debts. And she's not going to say anything to her sister so that her sister doesn't know, like, where she is and can't, um, I guess, be considered, like, an accessory if right. when they come looking for her. So I, I guess her plan is, like, it's not much of a plan, like I yeah. said. But I guess she's thinking that if she just goes far enough away that she can kind of, like, disappear into this small town. Okay. I guess that's fair. Like, she's yeah. just thinking she can go up there, and then nobody knows about Sam, so, like, they won't know where she went. Right. They won't know where she went, so as long as her sister doesn't, like, rat her out. Yeah. They just won't They just her. won't be able to find her. Um, and her, okay. like, her other part of the plan is not to tell him about, like, the full amount. She's like, oh, I'll just tell him I inherited, like just enough yeah what's she gonna do with the rest debts. of it i put it in the bank i guess oh, okay. i don't know fair enough <laughs> put it in her mattress i don't yeah. know yeah i was just like because i couldn't tell like what her plan is like is she just gonna run away like i yeah and it doesn't really matter like you yeah. just know like she saw the money she's taking it and, and well right and like i said it's not a very good plan no but no, it wasn't not. like she's a criminal mastermind no. here in this no. moment. And it was uh, at least partially. And I, I guess I, I should ask this because um, in the movie, it was at least partially, I think, motivated a little bit by spite, like because the guy was such an obnoxious asshole. Yeah. Like she's like, I think that helped make that decision easier for her than if like, you know, I don't know if she would have done it if it was just a normal like business transaction and like she hadn't had this weird creep like hitting on her and being like a you know yeah maybe. like i think that played into her decision to be like fuck this guy i'm taking his money like he he's not gonna miss <laughs> it you know because he talks he's like talking all this game about how much money he has and all that sort of stuff and i think that sort of pushed her mm -hmm. does that does that conversation with the guy happen in the book or anything uh, like that? Not that exact conversation. Um, I will say, and this was actually my first note and better in the book, so I'll just talk okay. about it now. Something that I liked was that her boss also seemed kind of slimy in the book, um, which helped me like further feel justified in her taking the money. Yeah. I think I would have felt justified in it anyway because fuck rich people. But um, 
<laughs> you know. Yeah. But it, like his her boss also seems kind of slimy. Um, I didn't get the jo- the like the vibe in the book or in the movie that she like necessarily hated her job. But no. in the book, I definitely did like get the vibe that it wasn't like a great place to work. Okay. So when she like sees this opportunity, yeah, she really seizes it. Yeah. And like big asterisk there that I may have read too much into that. Yeah. But it was the vibe that I got. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, because yeah, in the movie, definitely don't feel like her boss doesn't come across as shady or anything no like that. he comes across as like kind of an upstanding yeah like kind of yeah it's like a yeah um so yeah i think i think it is i think it's interesting though in the movie having it be having that character be this like slimy obnoxious mm-hmm. blowhard who again is like flaunting his money and stuff and she's like nah, all right <laughs> i'm just gonna take it uh, but yeah, she didn't think out the plan too much. It was sort of a spur of the moment thing, and she just kind of going with it. So yeah, she didn't really think it through. No. All right, let's go ahead now and find out what Katie thought was better in the book. You like to read? Oh yes, I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. So I had some mixed feelings about casting a traditionally handsome guy as Norman Bates. <laughs> So we we kind of uh, talked about this a little bit earlier. In the book, he's, like, chubby and homely and super awkward. Um, basically, if the sad internet virgin stereotype mm, mm-hmm. came to life, yeah, that's Norman Bates okay. in the book. And I, I felt like there was some interesting potential retroactive commentary um, cause we have this, this guy who like, and Mary sees him and she's like, oh, he's not a threat. Oh, it's yeah. fine. I can go up to, up to his house and have dinner with him yeah. because he's not like this kind of traditionally masculine guy. Right. Um, but he's also like, because we're in his perspective for most of the book, I was like, I was reading it and I was like, Robert Black just like wrote the incel blueprint yeah, yeah, yeah. right here. Huh. Like it's, it is that stereotype yeah. come to life in these pages. Interesting. And, but like also Anthony Perkins is so good and comes off as so normal and charming. Yeah. And I think there's also something to be said for playing him ordinary. Yeah. Where he just seems like a normal guy. Yeah. Yeah, he does just seem super, like, normal. Yeah. Um, I also think it's interesting that they cast kind of similar-looking actors as Norman and Sam. They're both they similar looking? They're kind of similar-looking. They're both, like, tall, dark-haired, white guys. Yeah. I don't think they're particularly similar-looking. I'm to not me, saying they're the same. No. I, I said they're similar Okay, looking. I guess. Yeah. Um, to me, uh, Sam is much more of like your traditional... He looks like uh, young... Um, what's his name? Uh, yeah, Sam Sam is your more traditional hottie. He's like yeah. captain of the football team yeah. guy. Norman, he looks like young Marlon Brando, yeah. actually. Anthony Perkins is like kind of nerdy looking, but like maybe he gets made over by the popular girl in the yeah. movie and now he's cute too. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I don't watch a ton of old movies, but I was really blown away. It's been a while since I've seen this movie. 
um, by Anthony Perkins' performance in this movie seemed way ahead of its time to me. Mm -hmm. Like, it's way more subtle and subdued than I feel like a lot of acting from that time period feels. Yeah, I agree. And, like, he's doing a lot of little subtle things here and there. Like, there's this moment when he's talking to, I think it's Detective Arbogast out on the porch before they go into the office to talk. And he, he has this, like, random throwaway kind of offhand comment that he makes about, like, changing the sheets. I don't remember what it is, but he has some sort of, like, throwaway line that felt like a very, um, a much more modern type of, like, delivery. And, and even the line itself, which I, I assume was probably like part of the screenplay and not something Perkins just did, but maybe, I don't know. And I, I wish I, I didn't write down the exact moment, but it's like I said, he's talking to Arbogast outside and he has like this, as before they walk inside, he has this little throwaway, like kind of comment that he makes at the end of a sentence. I will change the beds here once a week, whether they've been used or not. Hate the smell of dampness, don't you? It's mm. such a, I don't know, creepy smell. Come on. And all of it feels really natural and really, again, subtle compared to what I was expecting, what I would expect from this kind of performance from the sixties, I feel like, mm, mm -hmm. or, or the fifties, honestly, cause this is like the yeah. movie came out in 1960. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just, it's, it, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, crazy good performance, which I think he was, he won awards for this. I think, um, he was at least nominated. Oh no, he wasn't. Cause I remember I read all the things it was nominated for. Yeah, he wasn't even nominated. Uh, Janet Leigh was for, for her 30 minutes in the film um, for Best Supporting Actress. But yeah, he was not nominated for Best Actor, which is wild. Uh, he was nominated by the Bambi Awards. I've never German heard Award that. for Media. That's the only thing that gave him any awards, though, hmm. was the Bambi Awards. Uh, Janet Leigh got nominated in several categories from different things, but and the movie did in random things, but yeah, huh? Because I yeah, I thought he was phenomenal. So we mentioned uh, earlier that uh, Mary Marion's character actually gets her head cut off yeah. in the shower, uh, which doesn't happen in the movie, which is fine. Yeah. Also, I don't. I, I guess they would have had to use like a wax dummy. To yeah, do they that. wouldn't. I don't, know. Know. I don't even know if they could get by with the ratings board and stuff yeah. at the time. What they could even oh, show. If this movie was already pushing the edge of like what they could show with the ratings board and stuff at the time. So. Well, okay, so that's the reason why. But regardless, <laughs> there should have been way more blood in that bathroom. There, yeah, there there definitely should have been more blood. There's not. Yeah. There's not nearly enough blood. No. For somebody who got stabbed to death. And not that, and as many times as that yeah. we see her get stabbed in the movie, which is like dozens and dozens of times. Yeah. Uh, I needed Arbogast <laughs> to wear a Stetson in this movie. I don't know why I needed it, but I did. And he didn't wear a Stetson. He wore like a boring, dumb fedora. Yep. So that was better in the book. <laughs> uh, I liked... Just skipping to him taking a tour of all the like local hotels. We see like a montage of him asking at all of the local hotels and motels in town. But I didn't think it made sense that he then called and checked in with Lila. In the book, when he talks to them, they make a deal that if he doesn't find anything in 24 hours, then they're going to go to the police. So it made sense to me in the book that he called her and told her what he found at the Bates Motel and what he was like further planning to try to do there. But that didn't make sense to me in the movie. I didn't think he had any reason to like call and check in with her. 
I just assumed it was just like he's just ch- like they hired him. He's just like here's what I found out. He's just calling him and Did telling. Did they hire him in the movie? Yeah. Yeah, they said sure? they swear. I swear they say at one point that because in the book he's hired by the company, like her boss. Oh, I could have sworn in the movie that uh, they said Sam and Lila hired him, but I could be wrong about that. But I could have mm-hmm. swore that at some point somebody says something about if I I missed that if that's the him. case because yeah that is that's not the case in the book. Okay, he's like he's like a company man. Uh, who, like okay. basically like a bounty hunter i guess he's like he's like he's like yeah he's looking he yeah he, he's, he's like retrieving assets yeah okay interesting yeah no in the movie i got the feel and i could be wrong with this but i got the vibe that he was like working they hired him like because he's a private investigator and they hired yeah. him to like she her sister went missing and she's like i need you to find my sister so she paid him and that's why he's right, calling well, if in. anyone if anyone knows which one of us is right let us know i'm 99 sure what <laughs> i said about the movie is correct but <laughs> a little thing that didn't come through in the movie is that lila looks a lot like mary so when she gets to the bates motel and norman sees her he has this moment of panic and thinks he's like seeing mary's ghost come up out of the swamp for him Okay, sorry. Uh, a private investigator named Arbogast approaches Sam and Lila, saying that he had been hired to retrieve the money. So you're right. This is from the movie's what you call it plot synopsis. So yeah, then in that case, I don't. I could have swore in my mind I had it that they had hired him. I mean, if they had hired him, then it would make perfect sense that he would call and check in. I with don't them. know why he would. Other than, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that okay fair enough yeah because yeah in this it says that he he had been hired to retrieve the money but which that implies that like the company had hired him or something like that mm. to get the money and that he was just kind of talking to them to get information or whatever so yeah i don't know why he would call and report into them and not mm-hmm. like the comp business or whatever anyways okay sorry so in the movie the thing that they find in the motel room that tips them off that Mary was there is a little scrap of paper with 40,000 written on mm-hmm. it which we earlier saw her tear up and flush down the toilet but apparently that little scrap of paper didn't survive. Didn't. Yep. In the book what Lila finds is one of Mary's earrings crusted with blood. Mm. And I think that's much more interesting and dramatic. So in the movie, what we see are Lila and Sam sneaking into room number one. Uh, In the book, they ask to be put in room number one. Uh, And I don't know. It's different, again, because in the movie, we're not in Norman's perspective. But we are in the book. And he, like, at that point has sussed out who they are. Yeah. Um, and so he's like spying on them through the peephole. So he knows that they've found the earring and like are figuring out maybe Ooh. what happened. Yeah. And that's what sets off his his rage then that causes him to go into mother mode. Yeah, I think I like the movie's version just because it keeps things more up in the air for the audience. Mm-hmm. Like it keeps things more um, suspenseful in that we don't know. We don't know what he knows we also don't know at this point that for sure that he's his you know like mur- he's the one murdering people right or, or that like we still think it's possible there could be somebody else up in the house or something like that we're not sure um and so having him kind of be in the dark and then her, like 
him realizing, oh, she's up at the house, and then that's what sets him off, and he goes and runs up there to stop her. Because even at that moment where she's up in the house snooping around and he's going up there to stop her, we still don't know why he's like, is she going to find some? Is there somebody else up there? You know what True. I mean? Like, yeah, So yeah, it yeah. still keeps that suspense and that like mystery going until the very final moment. Whereas I think in the books, from what you described, if it did it the way the book did, I think that would release some of the tension because like we know that he knows what's going on. Like we know mm-hmm. that he's watching them. And so it's like, oh, well, he's he's like figuring out what they're up to. I don't know. It just seems less tense to me. This Potentially. Yeah. Just from what you described. I mean, I it is a really creepy scene where he's watching them. Yeah, I will say that's fair. That's fair. All right. Uh, now it's time to go ahead and see what Katie thought was better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. I liked that the movie set up more of a breadcrumb trail for eventually tracking down Marion uh, with her, like her boss sees her at the intersection leaving town. Um, and then we have the cop who won't leave her alone. Um, and, and I thought, I like, I liked that. Um, like you said, it is a good way to build up tension. Um, it also kind of releases us from later on having to explain how Arbogast was able to track her to Fairview, or I think it's Fairvale. Fairvale, whatever. The, yeah. In the book, I don't yeah, know. I think it might be in the, the movie same. too. I don't know. Um, but we like we don't have to like stop and explain that because it's just pretty obvious. Like she left a a pretty wide trail in yeah. her wake. When Marion gets to the hotel, I liked that we had this moment lingering on Norman making the conscious choice to put her in room one. Yeah. Where he could spy on her through the peephole. Yeah. Because he initially reaches for a different set of keys yeah, and, and then, then he's like, ah, yep. room one. Yeah. Creeper. Creeper. We mentioned the taxidermy birds. That was a change that I liked. Uh, the I think the only specifically mentioned animal in the book is a squirrel. Yeah. Which is not as creepy. I liked Norman Bates' more subtle reaction to Mary suggesting that he put his mother in an institution. He gets upset by that in the yeah. movie. But <clears throat> in the book, he like flies into a rage oh, and okay. like shouts at her. Um, but I like I liked it playing it more subtle. Yeah. It is still he does he snaps in a way in a movie that was enough for me that if I was her, I'm like, well, I'm not staying here anymore. Yeah. In that moment while I was watching a scene, it, like as soon as that happened, I'd be and she and she kind of reacts to it, but not enough. I was like, nah, I'm out. You're yeah. there's something. I don't know what's going on here, I'll but keep I'm driving. I'm gonna keep driving, especially when he told her she's 15 miles from Fairville. Yeah, that's not that far. What are you? Do- that is so stupid. On, when she when she found that out, I'm like, oh well, then I'm not wasting my money staying at this. Moment. Yeah, no. 15 miles are there. 20 minutes. <laughs> like what? <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. Assuming he wasn't lying, which. I don't know why he would be I, at yeah, that point. I don't point, know why he so. would be in that moment. There's this moment in the book. I was really glad they skipped. Um, I mentioned that Lila looks a lot like Mary. All well and good. They're sisters. Yeah. Uh, but because of that, um, in the book, when Lila shows up at Sam's, it's like kind of dark. And he like immediately just starts making out with her because <laughs> he, he thinks she's Mary. Nice. Um, and the movie skipped a lot of other like little uh, bits here and there 
that I I thought the whole like second half fish of this book that Black was going to have Sam and Lila end up together. Yeah. At the end. And they didn't. Yeah. That didn't happen. But I really spent that whole part portion of the book being like, <laughs> this this better not. This you better not. You better not better not. Because gross. Yeah, that that would have been something. Um as speaking of physical similarities between Mary and Lila. <laughs> I'm going to go on a rant for a minute. Uh, this, this book fell into a men writing women cliche. But it's one that some people might not be so familiar with, which is that men generally seem to have no fucking idea what different weights look like at different heights. Yeah. Not a goddamn clue. Uh, so Arbogast describes Mary as being around 5'5", which is around 165 centimeters for our non-American friends, uh, and around 120 pounds. Okay, 5'5", 120 pounds. Okay, fine. 120 being the magic number for women is a whole other issue, but fine, whatever. Yeah. But then, a little while later, Lila is described as not as heavy as Mary. And excuse the fuck out of me, not as heavy? Robert Block, do you not understand how thin a 5'5 woman weighing 120 pounds would be? Because clearly not. Yeah. I'm going to provide some clarity here. <laughs> I'm 5'3", okay? Two inches shorter than Mary is supposed to be. And a couple inches can make a huge difference yeah. in how weight looks on a person. Mm -hmm. Because when a person is shorter, that weight is squashed into less space yeah. than when they're tall. Yeah. And I'm chubby now. Not looking for anybody to soothe my ego here. It's, it's true. I'm chubby and I'm cute and it's fine. But at my very, very thinnest in high school, I was very thin talking visible bones here i was not healthy and at five three rail thin bones poking out i weighed between 125 and 130 yeah yeah and now there are a lot of different factors that affect weight and what someone looks like no two people carry weight in the same way and that means that the number on the scale is a good indicator of absolutely diddly fucking squat but the fact is that a five foot five woman weighing 120 pounds would be very thin yeah. and not even a little bit heavy. No. So absolutely fuck <laughs> you to the ends of the earth, Robert Block. I also really liked that the movie showed Norman standing by the swamp while Sam yells for Arbogast. We don't see that in the book. We just find out later that he was hiding in the house with all the lights turned off. Not very interesting. Yeah. Also, that shot in the movie, it's like this dolly in shot and he stands and he turns away from the swamp and his face is completely in the in darkness and this like the sides of his face are rimmed with light and it's such a cool fucking shot it's so good it's so sick i liked lila reasoning that norman might have wanted the 40k to like get out and start a new business or new life since the motel is basically failing yeah that's a theory that doesn't come up in the book but mm -hmm. it's a theory that makes perfect sense 
that if he had somehow found out about all that cash, that maybe he would just dispatch her and take the money. Yeah. My last note here, um, <laughs> I like that the movie clarifies that Norman is not what both the book and the movie call a transvestite. Yes. Which, again, is an, another dated a term. A very dated term. Yeah. Uh, late 50s, early 60s dated term. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, in case you aren't aware, that if, if they were referring to a trans person, you would say trans, you would not say transvestite. considered yes. a very outdated term. Very outdated. There are some people who might still use it, uh, people who are trans who have claimed that term and still use it themselves. That It's rare, but it does happen. But in general, as a... <laughs> As a society, uh, we that's not a term we use anymore. To yep. refer We've to moved people. on from that one. Yeah. yeah, so, but I think what they are meaning here is transgender. Yes. That, that's well, that's, yeah, because that's what, what we would say. That's what now. the term used like that. But was, it's still yeah. like not correct because no. Norman Bates doesn't, is not identifying as a woman no. or like he just he is becoming his, his mother. mother yes it's very it's different very situation. different <laughs> yeah um but the movie actually acknowledges that yeah. those are two different things yeah the movie does uh, uh, relatively uh, again in very dated terms and in very dated language does at least seem to acknowledge that there is a difference between yeah the situation that norman bates is in and and, and what a trans person would be yeah their situation would be <laughs> it's like this is not the same thing all right, we've got just a few things in the movie Nailed It. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. We already talked about a lot of stuff that I had in the movie Nailed It, so this is a very short section. Yeah. Uh, just a couple of things I wanted to mention. Uh, Mary does trade her car for a different one, mm -hmm. like we see her do. She actually does this twice in the book. Yeah. In an effort to shake anyone following her. But I think probably what she actually did was make it easier for someone to follow her, but potentially, regardless. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, I think it's switching cars makes sense at one point, but well, you would have to you wouldn't want to do it at I would think you wouldn't want to do it at like an actual car. Yeah. You would want to find like in the modern day you would want to find like somebody on like craigslist or something yeah. or just like drive around until you saw a car with like outside yeah you would want to find a car outside somebody's house yeah exactly yeah for sale you wouldn't sign. want to go to a car dealership where they could yeah although to be fair back then who knows how much paperwork was being done although he did take her pink slip and stuff so yeah yeah uh, another thing that the movie nailed was the way that norman gets rid of the murder evidence basically the same put everything in the trunk of the car sink the whole thing in the swamp uh, the only big difference is that in the book, he puts her body in like a clothes hamper before yeah. he puts it in the car. Yeah, he just wraps her in the yeah. But otherwise, the shower curtain. Otherwise, pretty much the same. All sink it all in the swamp. Sink it in the swamp. All right, we got a few odds and ends before we get to the final verdict. The moment. <laughs> <laughs> there was a moment in this that made me think back to our First Blood Rambo episode because there was another relatable secretary moment oh, yeah, for me. Oh, yeah, I remember that, yeah. <laughs> this time it was trying to do secretary things while an old white man who <laughs> thinks he's really cool talks at you. Yeah. Very relatable experience. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I did like, I thought it was really funny that when she arrives at, when Marion arrives at the hotel, we hear, uh, <laughs> we hear Norman say, gee, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you in all this rain. Go ahead in please. And in that moment in the movie, you can see his face in his mouth and it is not moving. That was <laughs> a line they put in to like, to cover that moment. I didn't notice. Oh, 100%. His, his, you can see clearly see his face, and he is not talking. Um, but they just added that line in, uh, and it made me chuckle because it was some pretty mediocre ADR, but I guess you can get away with it when the rest of your movie's a masterpiece. I guess so. <laughs> uh, speaking of a masterpiece, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that Janet Lee's eyebrows in this movie are on point. They are... <laughs> immaculate as a person who i'm a person free, who freehand draws her eyebrows on every I day know. i was very impressed with the eyebrows I know. i'm it's one of the eyebrows are just one of those things that always crack me up because there's something i never even look at but people spend so much time thinking about them and messing with them and i just did like the last part i, I, I look like i look like an alien from a sunless planet if i don't draw my eyebrows on <laughs> I'm not, I, whatever. I'm just saying, I don't know. Anyways. Uh, also, I realized in this movie how much uh, Will Wheaton reminds me of Anthony Perkins in Psycho, especially Will Wheaton as Wesley Crusher in Star Trek TNG. He has like the same nervous energy huh. and his, he's also has, like, I think it's his eyes or something. Something about his face also looks very similar, but his acting is uh Anthony Perkins is much better than Will Wheaton in Star Trek TNG. He's he's a young, he was a kid at the time. I was gonna say wasn't he a kid? He was young at the time and but it's it's notoriously very up and down with mm. Will with the uh, Ensign Wesley Crusher. Um but he uh he does have that same kind of like nervous incel energy that that that, that Norman Bates has. And I was like, holy cow, it's wild to me how much uh, Ensign Wesley Crusher reminds me of Norman Bates. <laughs> uh, also, uh, after at the shower scene has obviously been talked about a lot as a masterpiece. But that shot at the very end, starting as like a super close up of the eye, her eye and then pulling back. I think that's the shot they were talking about in, that I talked about in the prequel about being very difficult with pulling focus. Mm. And upon seeing that, I can imagine now why it would be more difficult than I was originally in, in, anticipating because it's a very long focus pull. I also don't even know how you would do that with a camera at the time. I don't know. To go from such a tight like macro shot to pulling out to like a medium shot is very impressive and super cool. Uh, just a dynamite, dynamite I, saw, I was reading something about that shot today actually while i was working on these notes and apparently they didn't use like a contact or anything she just held her eye well, open. and that was one of the things i i saw was that they one of the notes i saw was that it, that shot was hard because she kept blinking and stuff yeah. so they had to do it a bunch of times but um but they also another note was about like the focus and like pulling the focus and stuff was difficult because you had to do it manually. And I was like, but you do that all the time. But I was like, I, I don't know. I think there's more because it's such a it's such an involved shot. And again, it, it's not a normal pulling focus from like, oh, we moved from like a medium shot to a close up and I pulled focus. It's like we moved from a macro close up of an eyeball all the way out to like it's not a wide, but it's like a pretty wide medium, mm -hmm. medium shot uh, of her body laying out of the shower. 
Um, and yeah, the whole time she has to not move and she does a pretty good job. She twitches like once, like a yeah. little bit, but like you, you can barely notice it. It's a crazy shot. Uh, and then we just get one of the most tense scenes in movie history, watching a grown man <laughs> wash a bathroom, <laughs> just like him, like wiping down a bathroom. And it's like incredibly tense. I just, the, the moment I loved this moment when he's watching her car sink into the swamp and it's almost all the way in. Yeah. And it and just it stops, stops sinking. And he, like, and he just looks around like, what the fuck do I do? Go jump on it. <laughs> like, I don't know. It was actually, it was like legitimately kind of funny. Oh, it's funny. a great, yeah, it's a great moment. It was very funny. Uh, I, I also thought it was really funny at the end when the psychiatrist gives his whole monologue. He's like milking this whole thing. <laughs> yes. Like there's this moment where he's like, and then he saw her, a nubile, beautiful young woman, and he wanted to kill her. To the family and friends of the victim. He's like, he's like doing like this weird like, I was like, maybe he's a serial killer. <laughs> like, he's doing this weird, um, like, drama read. I think. Two friends I and family of the victim. That he wanted to be an actor, and his parents <laughs> made him go, go, go to, go to, to medical school yeah. to be a psychiatrist. And he was like, this is my moment. Yeah. <laughs> my time to shine. I was like, this is really inappropriate, dude. This is, really not, is not how you do this. Well, or I like to imagine, yeah, that maybe that the guy was like, <laughs> yeah, he wanted to, he, his dream was to be a psychiatrist in like on the news or like, you know, in like crime documentaries, like he would be the psychiatrist that like you see on like, you know, Dateline or yeah. whatever of just like, cause like that's the kind of speech he's giving is like, if you were doing like a, a dramatic like crime uh, documentary and you're interviewing the psychiatrist, not like I'm talking to the family of the murder victim. He just predicted true crime podcast. Yeah, he really did. He's the original true crime podcast. He really is. He really is. It's it's wild. I wanted to put a note in here because we talked about this in the prequel, uh, but I did find the reference to uh, the Gein case. Mm -hmm. It was Gein, right? I yeah. remembered that, right? Yeah. Um. And it's literally just one line in the second to last chapter. Some of the write-ups compared it to the Gein affair up north mm -hmm. a few years back. There you go. And it totally feels like a sentence stuck in. Yeah, just like... <laughs> just to acknowledge. acknowledge I that. didn't plagiarize this. Yeah. <laughs> Some people compared this to the Gein affair up north, but I assure you this happened before <laughs> but that. But I and <laughs> definitely... This is all unique. Before we get to the final verge, we want to remind you one more time you can do us a giant favor by following us on all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and Goodreads. Uh, you can follow us on all those things. We post uh, follow-up polls and all kinds of stuff so we can get your vote and your feedback hear what you thought about each of the movies and stories that we talk about. Also, uh, you can support us on Patreon, like I mentioned at the beginning, patreon.com slash this film is lit. You support us there for five bucks a month or more, and you get access to our bonus content, including the one we're recording right after this, which is a coming up for our September episode, which is Get Out, as I mentioned before. Uh, and once again, we would like to thank Grey Hightower for suggesting that we do Psycho to kick off our spooky season. Katie, it's time for the final verse. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? Oh, but there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. 
verdict afterwards. I don't remember if this came up during the prequel or if I just saw it somewhere while I was doing research. But I recall seeing or hearing a quote from Hitchcock that was something like, all of Psycho came from Robert Block. And I would say that that's true. This novel and movie are incredibly similar. It's the same plot, it's the same characters, it's the same explanation of what went down. But we've only kind of touched on the biggest difference between the book and the movie, which is that we spend like 75% of the book in Norman's perspective. And I have to say, it's really interesting. Robert Black digs into Norman's issues in a way that doesn't reveal the ultimate explanation, but does scatter enough breadcrumbs that once you know what happens, you can look back at some things and see how they also equal up to this, like, quote-unquote split personality plot. Mm -hmm. There's a section late in the book that I particularly liked where Norman is reassuring himself that Mother is locked up in the cellar, and as long as she's there and I'm at the motel, everything will be fine as long as we're separate and she's in the house and I'm at the motel. And I thought it was a really interesting and effective way to convey like compartmentalization Mm -hmm. as well as tell the story on multiple levels. Yeah. There's also a lot of Freudian (laughs) stuff going on in this book, like a lot. Yeah. Do I think that being in Norman Bates perspective in the movie would work? No, I don't. Because film is a visual medium, I think we need an extra layer of separation from the villain in order for the late reveal of who is actually who to work. Uh, This is definitely one where I would say if you are a fan of the film and you haven't read the book, read it. It's basically the same story but with more psycho. Yeah. Well, I do think it's a shame that not a lot of the twisted inner workings of Norman Bates came through in the film. I think I enjoyed the movie's portrayal of a mild-mannered Norman Bates a little more. Now, obviously, by the time we watched the movie, I knew how it ended and what the big reveal was. Yeah. But I do think, like you mentioned that Anthony Perkins' portrayal of Norman Bates could make that ending more unexpected and wild. And I don't know what more I could ask for of a Hitchcock film. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't surprise me that he made those choices. Yeah. I also liked that the movie dropped some of the hints at a relationship between Lila and Sam. Uh, I also liked that it bothered to clarify that Norman isn't actually transgender slash transvestite as they say in the book and movie now i do think this is a similar situation to like silence of the lambs yeah um where though you know even though they say oh, oh it's buffalo not, bill yeah. isn't actually like the damage is still, it's done, still done guys it's, it's still yeah, done we're still doing the the cross-dresser as a murderer yes trope that is now, to be fair, at the time, it wasn't much of a trope. I, I don't know. I can't say that for sure, but it was much less of a trope than it had become in the intervening years since Psycho. Mm-hmm. But yeah. But but either way, it's still, yeah. At least the movie puts that caveat in there 
where the book did not. Like, the book was totally fine with leaving it at, at, oh, yeah, he wants to be a woman. Yeah. And, like, no, that's a whole totally different thing. Yeah, and, and the movie, like like you said, specifically, the psychiatrist is like, no, because one of the people is yeah. like, oh, he's a trans or whatever. And they're like, he's like, no, he's not. Uh, yeah. He doesn't want to be a woman or whatever. He wants to be his mother or something like that. Yeah, yeah. very different thing going yeah. on there. Not even that he wants to be his mother. It's that he, like, yeah. It is? Yeah, kind yeah, of. yeah. So for those reasons, I'm going to give this one to the movie. Fan fantastic all right hope you all enjoyed coming along on our ride as we discussed the classic hitchcock horror film psycho katie what's coming up next is it more spooky more spooky we have another uh thriller we will be talking about don't look now i don't know what this is which is a short story by daphne du maurier uh, adapted into a 1973 film huh this is another uh, patron request. We had some spooky patron requests that I was saving for spooky season. And now we're here. I just Googled don't look now. And one of the top results was, uh, you know, like people ask is don't look now scary. And I clicked on it and it led to a medium article that said, don't look now is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen without featuring a single jump scare. There you go. So if that's Something not a to good, look forward yeah, if to. that's not a good, uh, if that doesn't pull you in, I don't know what would. Oh, it's got Donald Sutherland in it. If that doesn't get you interested, I don't know what will. Yeah, Donald Sutherland uh, and Julie Christie. I don't know who that is, but oh, so I'm, I'm pretty excited. Um, I have not read anything by, or no, I have read because uh, Daphne du Maurier wrote The Birds. I forgot about that. Um, so that's the only other thing that I've read by her. Uh, she also wrote My Cousin Rachel, which I would like to do on this sometime because I thought that movie looked interesting. Yeah. Uh, Julie Christie, fun fact, uh, plays Madame Rosemurta in the Harry Potter films. Hmm. She's only in like two or three yeah, of them. I was going to say, she was not very much in the movies. No, not very <laughs> much in the movies, but she is uh, in Prisoner of Azkaban. Huh. Duly noted. Wild. Now you got one fun fact <laughs> out of the way. Yeah, head of the prequel. Oh, uh, that's gonna do it for this episode. Uh, we'll be talking about. Uh, we'll be previewing. Don't look now, and giving our recap and our fan reaction to Psycho in our prequel episode in one week's time. And in two weeks' time, we're talking about Don't Look Now. Until that time, guys, gals, non-binary pals, everybody else, keep reading books, keep watching movies, and, and keep, keep being awesome. awesome.